We are live, Apologetics Live, here to answer your Apologetics questions, any questions that you have, challenges, maybe even just something that you came up with when you were sharing the gospel, someone challenged you and you did not have an answer, we are here to help. And so if you have any questions tonight, we'll be an open Q&A, we have no set topics, so if you have any questions, uh, you can join us. Go to apologeticslive.com. There is a link to join. If there's anybody watching that's going, hey, I tried to get in. I had a bad link. Eli, let me know. Hey, you're going to update that link so people can get in. It is live now. (laughs) So Apologetics Live is a ministry of Striving for Eternity. We're here to answer some questions that you may have. Uh, My name, I'm your host, Andrew Rappaport. We are hoping to be joined by... My friend Matt Slick from Carm.org. We'll see if he makes it in. I want to give it a little bit of an update. Some people were asking, why did I say maybe he's coming back? He's been out for a while. And uh, basically, some may know that Matt, um, you know, uh, oh, he's telling me, how he, let's see, he wants to get in. So click the link. Now. All right, so we'll see if he can get in. It's um, should be pretty good. If he, he may have some problems, but we'll see. Um, Eli, maybe you can give him a call since I know you're listening. You can maybe just give him a call and see if you can help him in case he uh, has some trouble getting in. Oh, you're on your phone though, right? You're you're doing this on your phone, probably. So that's probably not going to work. Uh, all right. Well, we'll see. So while we wait to see if Matt can figure out the technology, uh, it is a little different. And so depending on his browser, we'll see. Uh, Donald Jacks was saying that he uh, will just play, show what he said. Matt did a debate last night. He did a, um, actually, he did the debate a while ago, just so you know. Uh, it just aired last night. So so Matt has been, for as some of you guys know, he was Uh, Been off the show for a while because he's been getting his house ready for sale. And he was planning at this point to be in Arizona. He, uh, folks who know his wife is not doing well health-wise. And because of that, he has been, oh, here we go. Let's add him in now. There we go. There's Matt. Let's see if this is, if his audio is working. Yep. I hear you. I don't know if he hears me. I hear you now. I hear you now. Okay. Welcome back, Matt. How are you? Okay. Okay. Yeah, I knew that was coming. So some things never change. So let, I'll continue giving the update on Matt since he's not going to. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, I like this guy. It looks like uh, some people are happy you're back. Look at this. Ethan Tanner. Matt. <laughs> I don't see any uh, text or anything, but... Uh... Oh, if you look on the screen, I, I put his. Uh, oh, there his, it is. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, yeah. So for folks who don't know, Matt has been his his wife has not been doing well. Folks, those who are regular listeners know this, and we've been praying for for Neek and for Matt. So the plan was to be right now instead of enjoying the cold weather of Idaho, he should be in warm weather. <laughs> of of arizona but 
I guess the Lord had other plans. So um, our house didn't sell. The house didn't sell, so it's now uh, off the market until spring when it is a right. time when they they sell better. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Facebook user says the slick one. I love that guy. That must mean you don't know me very well. Yeah. So let's see if I can find out who that that I have to go in. Ah, that's. Um, Let's see if I go on Facebook. That's from the Apologetics Live group. Andrew Chukala. I'm probably mispronouncing his name. Oh, so. yeah, Andrew. Yeah, he's a good guy, mostly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so basically, the house is off the market until spring. Right. And um, people were saying, why did you say Matt's back maybe? Uh, so maybe you, you want to explain what happened the other night. Uh yeah, three nights ago. I mean, about that, three nights ago yeah, it happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of you guys may or may not know my wife has some serious medical issues, and um, she's actually out driving right now on her own. She went and did something, and, and she can do that kind of a thing, uh, and she often will pay for it, uh, you know, the next day and things like that. She rests to recover. But um, she tries to do as much as she can without just being an invalid, you know. So she's about 20% of, or actually about 80% um, disabled or 70% disabled kind of a thing, I guess. Anyway, three nights ago, about one o'clock in the morning, she had trouble breathing. And um, so, you know, I'm standing there with her, you know, and she's trying to go to sleep and the breathing is getting worse and worse. And and within five minutes, uh, she goes, I, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And uh, she started acting funny, as in afraid funny. And so, I, you know, I go, let's go to the ER. And she, yeah, yeah. And so we, so we got her downstairs, got her in the car, and I was doing 65 down to 35 and at 1 o'clock in the morning. And um, we got her to ER finally, and they, were just, they converged on her. Um, and, uh, I mean, got texts and everything. They were on her really fast. I just stayed in the corner, let them do what they did. And um, she wasn't not breathing. She was having a lot of difficulty breathing, and it was getting worse. And they just hooked her up. <clears throat> and within five minutes, so she, was, she was substantially better. They have all that stuff they do. They know what they're doing, you know. And um, that was 1 o'clock in the morning and got home at 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and there so, was uh... – I remember you had said to you had told me that there was a like when a time when no one would really be on the road and there was a train right in the quickest the quickest way to the airport or to the to the hospital and there was a train blocking the road and you had to do right. go all the way around so you had to backtrack yeah it's just a straight shot we go out our our uh, our housing area and we just straight shot to the hospital literally you turn left you're in the hospital parking area and uh, straight shot. And a train was just sitting there. So I just peeled a U and booked it around a long way around. And that's when I was hitting 65, close to 70, um, waiting for a cop to pull me over. And I would have just said, go to the ER emergency. He would have, you know, let us. But uh, anyway, you know, it. My, my dad had, when my brother was born, my dad had gotten to, um, he, he basically was, he got the call. He was teaching at Rutgers University, and he had, you know, like was flying, trying to get so he can get to the, the um, you know, to get to the hospital with my mother. And he got pulled over. And officer mm -hmm. explained, you know, he explained to the officer what was going on, what he was doing. And the officer says, oh, okay, well, hey, follow me. Turns on his lights, 
and and he's just following. He's going. He gets to the to the hospital. They they pull right up front. He gets to the hospital, and the guy handed my dad a ticket for speeding. For yeah, he he took him there, but he he gave him the ticket. That's not cool. <laughs> Idaho so, cops are cool. You know, they're cool. They're really good guys. Not for long. You're you're being inundated by Californians. So Yeah, it's a problem. The Californians are bad. You know, they're socialist wacko leftists, morons. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly how to trigger Matt. All right, this Facebook user is actually Brian Simmons. He says hello, brother Matt and brother Andrew. So yeah. you you met him at one of the conferences. So we didn't actually have a planned thing. We have a couple folks who are in here. One who you may recognize. He's he's uh, you know. Let's bring in Eli here. Oh, as he drinks his cup, you know, covering up his face. Oh, hey Eli. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> he's he's kind of annoying and just kind of a loser. <laughs> you know, as is it most everybody from the East Coast. <laughs> wow. See, don't you feel at home, Eli? Well, we're cool. <laughs> New Yorkers. New Yorkers are seen as as the cool ones, man. It's the uh, yeah. people out west who are the weirdos. Well, you go out west of California. It's true. Oh, <laughs> all, all, hey, look at that! All of the cool movies take place in New York. We don't see a movie starring. Arnold Schwarzenegger and somewhere in Idaho or something like that. <laughs> no, Idaho is not a happening place. No, it is not. No, it's not. Yeah, that's, right. that's that's why they're allowed to to carry in Idaho. <laughs> that's right. I like that. That reminds me. I saw the new uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie uh, a couple nights ago. Really enjoyed it. A couple three nights. What ago. movie does he? Did you really? It's getting. It lost millions. Uh, you know what? I don't know what's going on, but I, I thought it was great. Yeah. I, I thought it was great. It was very. What movie is this, man? It was uh, Dark Fate. Terminator. And, uh, it's the new, newest Terminator. Another Terminator? Like, how many Terminators? Have, I mean, like, this was the end of the, the end of the world. Like, how many times over? How, it's amazing how. Like, I I was amazed with how many Rockies and Rambo's they could do, but Terminators are another one where it's just. Oh man, no! It was really entertaining. The special effects were incredible. I mean, wow! And, I enjoyed it. I man. didn't like what they, what they did at the beginning. I'm a Terminator Look. fan. It, uh, this particular movie was supposed to be a direct sequel to Terminator 2, and it was on the assumption that all the other Terminators didn't exist. And so I didn't like what they did in the beginning, but I agree with you. It had a lot of uh, cool special effects, and the action was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, the, the beginning was like, what? They could have not yeah. done that and still had the same movie. It would have been good. They could have had a little bit older or something like that so that he's more capable. But, yeah, um, yeah. you know, but... But I, it made sense because it's a different timeline because the future keeps getting you know mixed up and things so they do right. different things. So then I, I go, okay, I can buy that. But uh, Andrew's, Andrew's like, was, well, I love Jesus, so I don't watch. Tur- I don't watch. No, Turner okay, movies, okay. So, yeah. Let, let's ha- let's have some fun. So I'm, I'm at Matt's house one time, and whoa, distortion. Is there a distortion coming in? Huge mm. distortion. All right. But hey, I'm glad you're on here. I'm going to run something by you. Is it still uh, yeah, distorted? I'm looking forward to it. Sound is a little weird right now, but uh, yeah, bad echoing, bad or whatever. <clears throat> okay, how's that? No. 
How do I sound? A little bit distorted. Sound echoey. Yep. I mean, it's, so this, you sound fine on my end. Trying to justify why three persons are in the Trinity. And Matt yesterday and I are talking about it. And we went to spend a couple hours last night. And I can't, you know, and the book, I don't, I don't, I don't think the book is clear enough. And I'm having to constantly redef- or define terms. But we went through some stuff and then what the guy was talking about, an interesting idea of Unitarianism. And I've got my notes, but I haven't polished them yet. Then you can talk right. about it. Why well, Unitarianism doesn't work. Can you hear me okay? I hear you fine. Do you hear me okay? Now you're fine. Now I'm fine. Okay. I tried changing some settings. So, so, so what I was trying to say was, and Eli, you'll, you'll be able to appreciate this. So I was at Matt's house and as you know, I'm not, you know, really pop culture literate and I don't, I'm not up on all the movies. Matt is trying to glossed over. We were talking about the, Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I, I at least saw the first Terminator. I don't. I don't think I saw any of the others. I just knew they they were. They're good. Okay. Oh, they're good. So let, let's go. Let's try and see if we can recreate the scene. Matt is explaining to me the importance of the movie Aliens, which I still haven't seen. <laughs> I've seen fifty-seven times. <laughs> Why is Aliens so good, Matt? Because it is the standard by which all other movies should be judged. <laughs> For one thing, there's no romance in there, which because it's a waste of time. Romance is just a waste of time, and uh, there's definitely aliens, and so aliens are automatically good. And there's gunfire, <laughs> there's screaming, there's running, and the plot is very simple plot. Anybody can understand it. Um, a bunch of people go meet the aliens. They scream and run to another area, fight aliens. They scream and run away to another area, fight aliens. They scream and run away to another area, and their, their numbers are dwindling. As they're doing this, that's a great prop. So, so Matt's, Matt's explained to me. He's like, no, but there's a scene where this this person's on the table. I think I think a woman, or I can't even remember. And and he's on the table, and everyone's looking. And all of a sudden, an alien comes out of his stomach and just bursts out. <laughs> and they never did well, that before. That's the movie Alien. Alien actually affected other movies and comedians and other things because it was so uh, back in the '70s when it came out. When I first saw it, uh, it was a talk of the town. Because no one had ever seen anything like that, and um, it was—it really had an effect. I mean, you got to remember, I'm almost 63 here, and so back in the day when it came out, everyone's like, "Did you see this?" I mean, no one had conceived of an alien that had acid for blood that would live in you and butt burst out and was super aggressive, and all you could basically do was run and scream, you know, and it was pretty terrifying, and. Um, Matt gets into really his alien movies. He really does. I love aliens. I love alien stuff. Yeah. I, I, Andrew, uh, I still hear an echo. I hear you, you guys. Do I you, don't know if you guys can hear me fine. Maybe it's hear, maybe it's just me. Yeah, I don't know if it's... Well, we do know... I mean, you have issues with your internet there sometimes, so I don't know if that's... You guys sound fine to me now. Yeah, put, put headphones on. Maybe that'll take care of it. We got a question here, Matt, that came in on YouTube... Uh, by Jay Harry, he says, "Does each part of the Trinity have a different purposes? Do they do different things? Do they have different powers?" Okay, leave that up because uh, there's a problem with the question. 
and uh, I'm not knocking the guy. It's just that the question is a difficult question to answer because terms need to be defined, and there are certain implications of certain words. And so let me kind of unpack it. Does each part of the Trinity, well, that violates the doctrine of the Trinity to say part uh, because we don't want to say that God, he's part. There's a doctrine called um, divine simplicity. And what that teaches is that God is one substance, not parts. There is no coalescing or commingling of parts. So it, the word part is, in, is, is incorrect. It should be, does each person or each member of the, of the Godhead, that's how it should be worded, but, you know, I'm just being technical, have different purposes. Now, a purpose, um, what you're hinting at is what's called the economic trinity. But a purpose, it means that you either devise it yourself or it's assigned it to you. So a purpose assigned would be difficult because it would mean one or two of the other members of the Trinity assigned a purpose for another of a third, which would designate a kind of a part and a partitioning within the the, the uh, Trinity, and that's problematic. Um, <clears throat> So we don't want to we don't want to say that. Uh, what we want to say is that God exists as a single essence, a single being, a single nature, and we call there's a doctrine called uh, uh, per, uh, perichosis, a perichoresis. Excuse me, and I wrote an article about this today. Perichoresis is the uh, the 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 teaching that in the one nature of God. Uh, there is the Trinitarian communion, and in, and with the members of the Trinity, there's an interrelationship, yet there's a distinction. But they share the same nature because they are the same nature, and they have their existence in communion with each of the other. So a way of saying it is it has to do with the fellowship and the relationship in the fellowship of the three members in which there's, is, uh, there's love, there's harmony, mutually exhaustive knowledge, etc. And it also re uh, refutes the idea of oneness Pentecostal theology. Uh, it, well, let me put it this way. It uh, establishes, let me just say it this way, it establishes oneness in the sense, not in the oneness theological system, but the oneness as in the single nature of God. There's one essence, one nature, one substance. And uh, per, uh, perico, perico, ah, crap. perichoresis <laughs> is uh, an ancient doctrine dealing with the nature and its essence. So anyway, do they do different things? Uh, yes, in the sense that in what we call the economic trinity, the Father sent the Son, but the Son did not send the Father. And the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. So there's a difference we want to say in function, uh, in order, but without saying that there's parts. Got to make sure we understand that. They have different powers? No. They don't have different powers because that would be a dividing of the persons uh, into parts. And power is part and parcel of the very nature of God, and so they cannot have different powers. Otherwise, we'd have parts of God. So, no, they all share the same nature, same omniscience, same omnipotence, same omnisapience, uh, wisdom, etc. And uh, so... There you go. I hope that helps. Perichoresis is the issue, and it kind of relates to the communicati with your matum. Uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's in, in the Christological perichoresis. Um, but there's another word which I forgot. Anyway, never mind. Yeah. I hope that helps.
So, so, and, and he's saying, he said, fair enough. Thanks for answering. And by, by the way, if you, if anyone wants to come in and ask questions, um, just go to apologeticslive.com. That's where we come to answer any of the questions. If you want to ask more questions, there was another question that I saw up here, Matt. Um, well, James Manning just said, I think Matt and Andrew would like the movie. My name is nobody. I don't know. I know nothing about that. Matt Pride does. Me either. A movie Matt doesn't know. Here we go. Here was a question by baptized by Jesus. Question: Could Jesus exist in human form without Mary's twenty three chromosomes? Well, yes and no. He could have another set of chromosomes, but another woman. <clears throat> so. But no, in the sense that in order to be human, there must be human nature and essence in there. So um, we could say logically that there needs to be some, some chromosomal uh, issue, because without that, then Jesus would not have been human. <clears throat> so there has to be a necessity of, of real biological genetics. Otherwise, he's not human, because we are human by that, by definition. So uh, the answer is, right. in one sense, yes, in another sense, no. That makes sense. <clears throat> Yeah, that's kind of like saying, uh, can Jesus uh, be made of chocolate and still be a man? <laughs> well, if he's made of chocolate, he lacks a human nature. So uh, it would that's seem right. as though that you need those, those physical elements to be at least a uh, human being in the physical sense. Since we, right. you know, a fullness of a human being is more than physicality, but you need that physicality to be to be human. <clears throat> Okay, we have another question that was came in on YouTube. And folks, again, if you want to ask questions, best way is to join us. Just come to apologeticslive.com. Also, you guys could share this on social media. It would be great so that people can come in, get their questions answered. This, I think Melissa Owens might be new here. I think I saw something earlier. She said she was new to the group. But it's she. her question is, What would uh, would the Trinity be an example of complementarianism? So first off, Matt, why don't you define complementarianism and then go for answering the question. Complementarianism is the position that um, in uh, male-female relationships within ecclesiastical structures, male and female complement each other. And so uh, it's in contrast to egalitarianism. Thank you. Uh, it's been a while since I used that word. Yeah. You're so old, Matt. I, I, no, I was going to see. I was going to be gracious and say he's been too busy, but no, you had to throw the age thing in there. You know, Eli, your day is coming, sir. Your day is coming. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Granted, Matt and I will be in the ground when you're our age, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't believe I'm going to be 63 in, in about four weeks. Jeez. Uh, anyway, you're not, you're not that old. Oh, I'm old, man. I'm old, but. Uh, at any rate, so uh, egalitarianism and complementarianism um, are different views of uh, ministerial orders and relationship of male and female. And so complementarianism says that male and female complement each other, and egalitarianism says they're equal, and that so therefore uh, in all areas, and so therefore uh, women can be pastors and elders. So complementarianism does not uh, port over to the category of Trinitarianism. So he he asked. Uh, I guess as a follow up, would that make Mary? This is, uh, sorry, this is baptized by Jesus says. Would that make Mary special? 
Yes, we, Mary would definitely be special if she's bearing the second person of the Trinity in her body and gives birth to the uh, basically to the Creator. That would make her on the yeah. We could say that's, she's pretty special. But but there's nothing I there's nothing specific about Mary that would I mean it's what how God used her that makes her special. It's not because we don't like this is some of the things we hear from Roman Catholics right that they would try to say there's something unique about Mary the Immaculate Conception. Which right. by the way, folks, the Immaculate Conception has absolutely nothing to do with the way Jesus was conceived. It has to do with the way Mary was conceived. Even many Catholics misunderstand that. The belief that Mary was born sinless, that God... It's kind of an interesting thing, Matt, because what you have, they, they, they realize they're in a problem. They ha- they're trying to say, well, you know, how could Jesus, this God himself, be born of a woman? And because a sinless being, how could he be born of a sinful being? So Easy. Yeah, it, well, easy, but what do they do? They say, well, that can't be, therefore, Mary had to be sinless. But then you still have the same problem with Mary. How could she be a sinless being born of a... So they go, well, this yeah. immaculate conception. Well, why wouldn't that conception be with Jesus then? Why does that be with Mary? No. Just logically. Yeah, it's, a, it's a faulty argument because uh, it's not the vessel that has to be pure for God. It's God himself who is pure. And uh, at the womb, you know, is separate. It's almost like they are arguing the same kind of thing the pro-abortionists do when they say, it's my body. So the womb, it would be her body, and she has to be pure because it has to be pure um, in order for Jesus to be, to be housed in her. It's just a, it's a fallacious argument, um, but there's no, nothing biblically or logically that requires that um, Mary be sinless in order to bear, bear Christ. Right. We would say that Mary is special because she's chosen. There's nothing right. metaphysically intrinsic within her right. that separated her from someone else that God could have used. Right. In, in, and in that sense, in a, in a somewhat similar sense, we could say every believer is special because God chose them. You know, If every elected. believer is special, then no one's special. Well, not all are believers. You said every believer. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, I, think, okay. I think we are we are we are special. We are special in contrast to non-believers. Not that we are intrinsically better, but we we stand in a better relation right. with God. And I think um, uh, when we say that Mary is special, it's more in relation to her roles. We're all special. God uses all of us, but the nature of those uses are different. You know, there are many. There are many uh, uh, body parts to the body, and Mary was used for a very special role, and others are used for other special roles. Mary's job was not the same job as the Apostle Paul, who proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles, and that was his specific specific calling. And, uh... Well, just so you know, my wife says I'm special. Yeah, but that's that was in our day and age, when we were kids, (laughs) Matt, that, that was Jerry's kids, for those who remember the those yeah. marathon uh, uh, telethons, oh, yeah, so uh, Andrew Andrew in, on Facebook says spot on Eli. Um, J- Jason picked up what I was saying here. Jason Manning is saying, "What about when we talk about Mary? It's what what about Mary's mother and her mother and her mother and her mother? That's the problem that they have when they get into that argument of well, sinless. She had to be sinless to give birth to a sinless being." I remember once I was actually in a Catholic church, some Catholic evangelists. 
they had some teenagers that came to my house knocking on the door and were trying to convert people to Catholicism. And they invited me to the church. So I went over and I had like 40 kids that were just peppering me with questions. And they, they asked the question, you know, don't you understand Mary has to be special to give birth to a sinless being? She had to be sinless. And I just went, well, what about her mother? And one kid goes, that's a good question. I always wondered that. So the, so one kid's like, go ask the priest. There were three priests just watching me. So they go over, they ask. Kid comes back. I said, what did the priest say? He goes, they said they don't know. And, and just as he's saying that, I'm looking at the priest and they left. I'm like, okay, now the, like they were watching me and now they're like, we're getting out of here. Okay, I got 40 kids I could just share the gospel to. <laughs> wow, good for you. That was a special time. <laughs> Just like Matt's special. I'm special. Uh, so let's see. So uh, Jason has said, uh, um, I keep hearing the Christianity doesn't have a problem of one of, of the one, in the the one yeah. of the, and the many when listening to Christian debate atheists. What is the problem with so, the one of the many? So the one of the many issue deals with the nature of the... Um, the one, for example, would be the transcendental essence uh, definition, whatever you want to call of number. And an instance of number would be two or four or six or eight. And so the one is that thing which unifies or categorizes or makes plain or aware the particulars. So one thing and the many are interrelated. And it can only really ex- exist in a Trinitarian context, in a Christian God context, context, because only then can the one and the many be realized and actualized. If you think of the one as a transcendental necessity, for example, of tables, uh, the idea of a table, there's the one essence, one transcendental nature of what t- a table is, and many particulars of, of that. And so... Uh, in an atheist worldview, for example, you can't justify universal principles or transcendentals in order to account for or ground the idea of particulars. So that's the major major kind of a thing that's going on there. That makes sense? Yeah, I think the, the one and the many grapples with the problem of what is the fundamental essence of reality. This is a problem that the uh, pre-Socratic philosophers had to deal with and philosophers afterwards. Some people try to posit that the fundamental element of, re- of reality is one sort of thing. So they held to you know, monism. Known as monism. All is water, all is fire, all is air. The problem is that if reality is fundamentally one, then how do you make sense out of particulars in our experience? And so if you are a monist and the fundamental aspect of reality is one, then you have to posit that the particular different things we experience in, in human experience are illusory. That's, that's the issue with, say, something like Hinduism that holds to a pantheistic perspective in which all is one and the differences and distinctions that we see are illusion. And so you have other views that are more atomistic. If you take a look at something like a metaphysical naturalism, if, if the fundamental aspect of reality is physical, then you have these individual disconnected pieces of fundamental reality in which there is no universal um, non-material unifier to bring into relation all of the individual particular things. For example, if I have um, one barn in a farm, right? You see in a field, you have a barn, and then you have another barn and another barn. You need 
universal concept of barn to talk about in a coherent fashion the reality of individual barns. So you need to have this this transcendent unifier that can make sense out of specific things. Now, the problem with atheism is that atheism as an atomistic view, because all is materials, matter, motion, they, can, they can't account for universals, and in which case that throws logic out the window, and without logic you have a self-defeating worldview. Now, if you have a, a purely monistic perspective, you get rid of particulars, and you have to posit something that differences in reality are, are um, illusory. And so the cool thing about Christianity is that the fundamental essence of reality on the Christian conception is the ontological trinity. Since God is uh, both one and many, the of God is equally ultimate to the manyness of God because of his very nature. He's a chief triune. Reality reflects the ontological essence of God because just as God is both one and many, reality that he creates is both one and many. And because reality is that way, we can bring together unifiers like logic and make a cohe- make coherent sense of particulars like the specific objects we experience in, in reality, if that makes sense. I know it's very hard to talk about without getting too abstract and philosophical. Yeah. Another way to look at it, <laughs> to like, <whatever>. simplify, <laughs> is, is the universe one thing and it has parts or manifestation of the one thing? If that's the case how you justify that as being true, and there's philosophical, logical problems. And only Christianity provides that answer. We can have the one thing who is God, and particulars of the manifestation of the doctrine of the Trinity, things like that. But at any rate, he's the necessary precondition for all those things that we experience in particular fashion, in particulars. So... And this is why Christianity is the only religion that makes sense. Because, it, it, yeah. you, know, you know, this is back to the other thing. KT says this, what gives us value is not intrinsic in us. It is because we are uh, the, the Father's love gift to the Son. And that's a quote from John MacArthur. So, Matt, earlier someone said this, baptized by Jesus, said, Matt, that's heresy. Bring your wife here to let us talk. And so someone say, someone yeah. asked the question, what part? Ethan said, what, what part is heresy? And so he said, baptized by Jesus, says, Matt said his wife says he's special. <laughs> so I guess he's doubting that your wife actually says that. <laughs> yeah, she does. I am trying to get her on the radio, too. She, she actually broached the idea in passing, but... Um, yeah, right. Because she's suffering so much, and I want her to get on the radio to talk about her suffering and her faith in God and her relationship to her suffering. That actually would be good. Yes, it would. Be. Yeah, it would be, because folks who don't know her um, know she's suffering probably doesn't. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, she's suffering. Someone else is, yeah. someone else is deciding. Not very often she's not in pain. It's not very often. The only time she's not in pain is when she's in a certain position in a recliner. But anyway, rate, that's there we go. So, so anybody got yeah, comments or well, we got uh, this is. I'm going to go look at this. I think is Andrew again. He said, uh, um, "You explained that very well, Eli. You too, Matt. Um, e- Ethan has a another quote from John MacArthur. Uh, Matt, we're going to have to explain this to you. <laughs> Matt, Matt's not going to get this quote." Yes, I will. Beth Moore, she should go home. He's correct. <laughs> now, the thing, the, okay, so John MacArthur said, you know, for folks who don't know the context, I'm amazed. I was actually there, okay? Wow. So, 
when everyone's sitting there and trying to say MacArthur was making some comment about her going home and being in the kitchen and this is just, you know, he's just anti-women and all, all the, the nonsense that I'm hearing. First off, let's put it in context. This is at a conference where earlier that day, Justin Peters did an excellent job going through and playing Beth Moore herself. False prophecies, false teaching, saying, you know, preaching at a pulpit on a Sunday at church, and then saying she believes in complementarianism. So you had all this, and the question that was asked was, Todd Friol was saying, I want one-word answers or short answers to to whatever I ask. So it was basically just really quick think, what are you, what are you going to say about this person, this thing, whatever it is. And so he gave to MacArthur and said, Beth Moore, and he just thought, go home. But in the context, he then explains what he means, and it's it's about her teaching, It's and th- that's what they want to avoid. They want to avoid the fact that Beth Moore is a false teacher and a false prophet. She made prophecies that aren't true, and therefore, she shouldn't be teaching, period. But because she has loyal followers, uh, they support her. And th- so they all tried to make it to mean, to, to try to say that MacArthur was saying that she should be home in the kitchen and nonsense like that, making sandwiches or whatever. And so. What's wrong with being home in the kitchen making sandwiches? Yeah. Well, I, I think here, where's Jason? Jason Manning puts it. Jason Manning, you'll love this one, Matt. Jason Manning says, I'm waiting for the t shirt from Carm that says, Reformed women make better sandwiches. <laughs> You know, Matt will probably have that shirt soon. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Um, So let's see. So I I see Jay Harry has another question. And folks, the best way to ask questions is actually come in and ask them. But he says here, and he's got a big question, so it covers Eli's face altogether. Suddenly the show looks better. Um, He said, uh, I was a... Uh, Tupel believing, uh, sorry, he, so he was a Calvinist for years, uh, for many years, uh, what I thought was genuine relationship with Jesus. I am now agnostic and don't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Am I still saved? Well, first off, Jay Harry, please come on in here for a discussion on that, but go ahead, Matt, and answer. First John 2.19, they went out from us because they never were of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained. So if you don't know if God exists and you're denying the true and living God, and uh, I can't call you Christian, and if you're not a Christian now, you never were a Christian. You were a false convert. Yeah. I would agree. Uh, and Jesus says, unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. If yep. you don't believe uh, who Jesus, if he was who he said he was, then by definition, just by that, just his own description, he's defined himself out of the Christian faith anyway. And and so I and I'm I'm going to say this, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way. It's going to sound kind of harsh, but it's when we have people that say that I once was a Christian, and Matt already quoted what God says on the subject from First John. If you went out from among us, it meant you were never of us. Okay, so what were you? Um, you weren't a Calvinist. You weren't a tulip believing Calvinist Christian at all. And I don't mean this to come off sounding hard, but it, it, it is. You were a hypocrite that stopped pretending. You were pretending to be a Christian before, and you weren't a Christian, and now you stop pretending. All right? He says, uh, his, his response is, but I was a believer. I did believe that Jesus 
was who he said he was. The difference, I think, there, and I'll let Matt answer after, it's not that you believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus was not your ultimate authority. God and his word were not your ultimate authority. And therefore, because if he was, then you'd still be believing. The fact that you don't believe means he wasn't your ultimate authority. Yeah, and since God grants that we believe, Philippians one twenty nine, and he works faith in us, John six twenty eight twenty nine, causes us to be born again, first Peter one three. We're born again not of our own will, John one thirteen. Therefore, if you're really born again, it was work of God. If you're really believing it was work of God, and since you no longer believe, then it was not God's work in you by which you had believed it was your own. It was something else. So uh uh, you know, biblically speaking, if you say you're a Calvinist, you should know this. And therefore, uh, the problem is that you were never saved to begin with. I was muted there. So, um, okay, so he's saying his response, and this is why it would be much better if you came in here, um, Jay Here, just if you go to apologeticslive.com, the link is there. But he says this is no true Scotsman fallacy at its finest. Uh, it's it's on, not. Let me jump on that. Yeah. Look, I quoted the references. I quoted the scripture. This is the Christian worldview thing you're asking about. It's Christianity you're asking about. God grants that we believe. Philippians one twenty nine. You cannot come to me, Jesus says, unless it's been granted to you from the Father. John six sixty five. It says in First Peter one three, we are caused to be born again. As many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Acts thirteen forty eight. He grants repentance. Second Timothy two twenty five. I'm quoting you the references, and you can go check them out, and you can go see. This is what the Scriptures teach. So if someone is truly born again, they're born again because of the will of God, not because of the will of man, John one thirteen. So there's no fallacy here. It's simply what the Scriptures teach. And if the fact, if, if you are really a believer, then what you're saying then, according to the Scriptures, is that God gave you that act of believing, and then he took it back. Now, it also says in John six thirty seven through 40, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and all that come to me I certainly will not cast out. For this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all who believe in the Son um, will have an everlasting life, and I will raise them up on the last day. So what he's saying here is he will he, he cannot fail to do the will of the Father, and that a certain group called the all was given to the Son, and that they will come to him and they will believe in him. And he cannot lose any. But if you are outside, and you say you are in, but then you're outside, that means you're lost. But Jesus can't lose any. Inside the Christian worldview, it's impossible for you to have been lost if you truly were saved. And since you were, you're outside the camp of Christ, just as Eli said in John eight twenty four, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So you deny who Christ is. You don't even know who God really is, so you deny his truth and who he exists, and, and um, you can go to Exodus 21 through 4. So therefore, it's not possible from the Christian worldview that you were truly born again, that God actually gave you the faith, that God actually granted you that repentance, and that he actually called you and came to Christ, because that's only possible if from the foundation of the world you've been called, elected for that, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, and appointed to eternal life to have, uh, by, by God's great grace, uh, Acts thirteen forty eight. So the fact that you're outside of that, simply says you never were born again to begin with. You can go to Second Corinthians ten seven, which talks about true repentance and false repentance. And false repentance leads to damnation, leads to judgment. And so you have a false repentance. The fact is you did not trust in Jesus. You were trusting in something else other than Christ. And the reason you did not trust in Christ is because God did not grant that you trusted in Christ. You did not believe in a true and living God because God did not grant that you believe in a true and living God. Otherwise, you'd still be in because God does not give back 
what he get, grants to you in that belief thing because he would give you to the Father for redemption and Christ can't lose you. So therefore, it's not possible, biblically from the Christian perspective, that you are born again. You are a false convert. This is not pointing a finger and yelling at you. It's just saying you're a false convert. Do you want the real gospel? Do you want to know what the real truth is? And what you've done is you've run from that gospel. You have submitted the word of God to your reasoning, to your feelings, to your ideology. And this is why you're lost. And this is why you're outside the camp of Christ. God has let you have what you desired. There's a false convert situation here from the very beginning. And that's what the issue is. And I think one of the things uh, for Jay Harry to realize is, I know you think you once believed, but, and to argue, oh, it's a no true Scotsman fallacy, People throw that out with even without really understanding what that is. No true Scotsman fallacy is when you try to say when there is no objective standard to something. There is a way to know who a true Scotsman is if they were born in Scotland, if they have mem- uh, a citizenship in Scotland, right? But the argument is, is that, well, the way they word it is they may be a Scotsman, but they're no true Scotsman. So in other words, we set up a, a, a way of defining what a true Scotsman is well, there is a definition of what a true Christian is, and it's provided in the scriptures. And therefore, that's why Matt gives you the scriptures, because that defines what it is. So there is a true definition for that. So it doesn't fit the no true Scotsman fallacy, because it's not an arbitrary standard. It's an it's a objective standard that you can examine. So that's one of the things with the no true Scotsman fallacy, is it has to be an objective versus subjective standard. Matt, Eli, and I gave you an objective standard. We're giving you God's word. That's the difference. So it's it doesn't fit the the new true Scotsman fallacy. Um, and you know, as, as I think with what Matt was saying, if you were a Christian, then God changed your heart. This is what Scripture says. So therefore, your ultimate authority is God and His Word. For you to be convinced otherwise. Would would mean that you never had God and His Word as your ultimate authority. You had yourself as your authority, and the the hardest thing for people is to say, "Well, I, I know what I used to believe," but if what you used to believe, you thought you were a Calvinist, but the Scripture says you weren't. Not only were you not a Christian, you weren't a Calvinist either. So, what Scripture would say is you weren't a Christian. So, what you think of Christianity. You either had a head knowledge, and that was it, or you had a misinterpretation of Christianity, and you were believing a falsehood. But either way, what you believed was not in Christ. All right? So I'm going to bring Andrew in. He had a question for us from Down Under. Yeah, hey, Matt. Hey. Um, I was going to say, um, how do we know that people are putting up an act? It's easy. It's easy. You buy a ticket, you go sit in a chair, and you watch a play, and they're putting on an act. Yeah, okay. That's one way. <laughs> but So, but how do you mean, you mean the content of Christianity and true converts? I guess, how would you be spot if somebody was putting an a, a, up an act, and would you have the right to be able to say that person was putting up an act? 
Yes, if you know for a fact uh, or within reasonableness that they are are lying. So, uh, you know, let's say you meet an individual who says he goes, let's say he goes to church and you meet him at church Mm -hmm. and you've met him there three, four, five, six weeks in a row and you you guys are hitting it off and you go out to to lunch, you know, after church one day and he kind of leans over, he trusts you, he goes, look, man, I got to tell you about the adultery I'm in. And um, I got stock in a porn place, and it is awesome, man. And I'm making a lot of money. In fact, I'm putting some money behind a porn thing. What do you think? Uh, you go, what? Yeah. So he's putting on. Now, he, this, the thing about putting an act on means mm-hmm. that they are purposely being deceptive in that sense. But we could have someone who doesn't know that they're being uh, wrong. He may, you know, that such a situation, it's conceivable that such an individual could believe that they're right that things are going mm-hmm. okay, and that it's, it's mm-hmm. all right to do that, you say, no, no, no. Now, that's not an act, but you could also have someone who is pretending, and I've, I've heard of guys, they put on the Christian act in order to get girls at church. They put on, now that's putting yeah. on an act. So how do you find out? Well, you hang around with them, you start looking, you start listening, you start comparing the profession with the action, and that's how you, you determine. Other than that, or you buy a ticket and see, you know. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Now, you know, one of the things that we end up seeing, he and, uh, you know, staying in the context here, I got to find where he posted that. Um, but this is so typical that we see from people. He says, uh, these are assertions. I'm, I'm telling you what I believed. You are just calling me a liar. Um, no. no, God's calling you a liar, not us. He's self-deceived. Now, there's a difference between believing something to be true and lying, because you can believe something to be true that's not true, and that's self-deception. Like Mormons, for example, believe that their belief in God is the correct belief, and, but they're believing a lie, but they're not liars. So they are self-deceived. And so I'm just telling you from the Christian worldview, you thought you were a true believer. I believe, that, I believe you think you were a true believer, mm-hmm. but according to the scriptures, you never were. That's it. That's the Christian perspective. You don't have to like it, but that's that's the perspective from Scripture, which is why I quoted those verses and made the case. So if you say, well, you don't accept that, then you're not accepting the Christian perspective. And since we're talking about the Christian perspective, you either deny what the Christian perspective is, or you affirm it and realize that you never were a true convert to begin with. But if you want to say, no, so I was a true convert, I don't care what the Scriptures say, that's evidence of not being a true convert. In the first place, because you aren't believing and submitting to the Word of God in the first place. Yeah. And, you know, I do, I do hope that, he, you know, it's a lot easier to have these discussions when, if you can come in and, you know, just the way it's, it's hard to, you know, respond when we get short of questions. And then, so if anyone wants to come in, apologeticslive.com. So, Andrew, you had a couple more questions there. Yeah, from stemming from that. So then the scripture tells us directly that we will treat them as an unbeliever. Right. Well, what does it mean to treat them as an unbeliever? How do you treat yeah, unbelievers? That's, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, uh, give them the gospel. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so this guy who's an agnostic now, both Eli and I and Andrew are quite capable of politely dismantling the arguments uh, that he would have against Christianity. Mm-hmm. We can do that. I can do, I can do that very easily. And uh, who's typing? And 
I'm hearing typing sounds. I think someone's typing, yeah. like Eli. Maybe Eli's typing. And so yes. we're at least on typing. And he's just ignoring us. That's right, because he's typing away. Yeah, he's so concentrated on, on his typing. It's so hard to, I, it's so hard to hear. <laughs> I can barely hear you guys for past 10 minutes. But we can, just, we can hear you typing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to sign. Uh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to try to sign out and try to get back in through the new work. I might have to bail. Uh, and I'll just, okay. We need to okay. get Eli, like, right. internet. I'm try to jump in one time. I do apologize, guys. Well, I do want to talk about Unitarianism. I know my internet's terrible. Let's see if yeah, I think it's his internet because he's delayed. All right. Here's Gartner go. Yeah, he's not that old. His ears are going already. Whoa, Andrew, it's bad. This went bad. Yours mm. very bad. When he dropped out, it got choppy. That's weird. He said he was going anyway. Yeah. Is my audio okay? Wow, I can't understand what Andrew's saying. It's probably a good thing. Mm. I was just saying that Eli was leaving and coming back. Not coming back? Okay. No, and coming back. Oh, and or yeah. to come back. Okay, is that better? A little bit, but still bad. I um, wonder why that is. So, Andrew, you had more questions. That's better. Uh, that was the other one, but then I was going to ask, uh, do we prophesy in the modern-day church still? Like, would we be able to say we prophesy per, per se as the prophets would have? Not There's no more prophets, uh, but the gift of prophecy was spoken about in First Corinthians 12 and 14, and the Bible says not to lack any charisma while you're waiting for the return of Christ. So I would say yes. Why some does people, this question always come up? <laughs> Yeah, Matt hasn't been here forever, and then he pops up, and then boom, right back in the thick of it. <laughs> I'm sorry, well, Eli, upside never... down, because Eli doesn't know how to hold his phone. Okay, okay, all right. <laughs> no, it, no, it, it looks down. better when you're upside down. Really, it's okay. No, no, no. Okay, here we go. But that's the answer I wanted. <laughs> there we go. That's that's better. If you believe in the continuation of the charismatic gifts, yes. If you don't, then no. Yeah. So I do. And since John Knox practiced it, yeah, there's no problem with it. Not everything he did was good. But let, let me ask you this. And since I prophesied, I've I've done it. Yeah, I did it. No, <laughs> no I did. I did. Okay. Can, so I've I've told okay. people before what happened, very detailed, and it came to pass. I know. All right. That's a real easy story. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. And there's a real. There's an easy answer. But uh, but okay, taking, <laughs> taking someone home from a Bible study, all right, and um, so uh, I, I, you know we're just I, taking her home because she needed a ride home and she needed something. We oh I got a book at my house, you know my apartment. So let's go over and her name was Tony, and uh, so I could still see her. She's short, I could still see her um, standing there, and she said she's going to go to Australia in two weeks in order to do mission work. And I said, you're not going to go. Just I was like, all of a sudden, seriously, I was just like, oh, really? And it was like, you're not going to go. You're not going to do your mission. What's going to happen is you're going to stay. And in five months, you're going to meet a guy. He's going to become your spiritual leader, your spiritual mentor. And in 18 months, you and he are going to have a special bond together. You can do mission work together. <laughs> and I went, what was that? 
All right. Two weeks later, she got on a plane. She went to Australia. She got off the, the plane, realized she wasn't supposed to be there, got back on the plane, and came right home. She did not do her mission. Mm-hmm. In five months, she met a guy. And he became her spiritual mentor. At 18 months, they had gotten married, and they went to England together and did a mission. And I can tell you where I was sitting and everything and placed the whole bit when she came to me and said, everything you prophesied came to pass. Mm. Yeah, but we don't, ex- we don't exegete experiences. So, so let, let me ask you this, Matt. I, I do, I do want to ask you, sort of along the lines with this, because this is a question I got asked, and I, I'd be actually curious of your perspective. So this, this question was coming from a... Uh, reformed charismatic, someone you know like, like yourself that is reformed, so they're not the the, the wackadoo charismatics that word of faith type folks, right? A reformed guy who believes in the charismatic gifts. Now he, now this is the thing that I'm not. I, I want to actually sit down and talk to him because in, in greater length, because he actually does hold that the passage in First Corinthians 13 is referring to the canon, and so. Here's the difference, though. He's saying that he believes in the gifts because there's apostles today. Now, here's how he's saying this. He's he he's, and I I think I know where the problems are, but I'm curious to see if what your thoughts are. He's saying there's apostles today because apostles would basically do what pastors are doing. So he was he's was saying that there's capital A apostles and lowercase a apostles, but there's apostles today who actually preach what would you seven seven kinds of apostles in the bible a lot of people don't know that apostles who are among the 12 paul was an apostle because he but he wasn't among the 12 and he was commissioned specifically and differently than the others uh barnabas was an apostle performed no miracles wrote no scripture jesus is called an apostle in hebrews 3 1 they're apostles (laughs) in the sense of simply being sent because the greek word apostella means sent it could be possible that anyone was involved in Christ's ministry before his death uh, and saw him after his resurrection could be referred to as an apostle, Acts 1, 21-22. And there are false apostles, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. So there's seven kinds that I found in Scripture by looking through that. So it depends on what you mean by apostle. Is he defining apostle uh, biblically? Uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, 1, Paul defends his ap- uh, apostleship by saying, uh, Have I not seen the risen Lord? Well, if he's seen the risen Lord, what he's saying is that he is an apostle in that sense. Well, is that the kind of apostle that the guy's talking about? Is he going to prophesy? Well, the issue of prophecy seems to be among the the apostles who knew Christ specifically. So if we were to say that someone who had seen the risen Lord was an qualified an apostle, then what do we do if Jesus appears to somebody and appears to them today? And I met somebody in Jerusalem who said that happened to him, and I believe him. Because he was a Jew, got converted on the spot to Christianity when he said Jesus himself appeared to him as a young man. And when he looked into Jesus' eyes, he said he knew he was God. Just like that. I can't deny that that's legitimate. Okay? Unless it's just something he's saying, but he convinced me. Uh, you know. But at any rate, so we have different issues of, of what an apostle is and how we're going to define apostolic stuff. So I don't believe that First Corinthians thirteen eight to twelve is uh, about the canon. I don't think it makes any sense. Yeah, I, a, but uh, well, I no, do. It's, but but I know I think I I I thought you'd come to so you and I are on the same page. I, I actually think it's a category error because he's using apostles, meaning sent ones, people who are preaching, 
And right. yeah, that is used that way. But then to say, well, the gifts continue as long as the apostles continue, but those are different apostles. So I don't, I, I think there's that he's, he's, it's either a category error or a fallacy of equivocation because he's using the word apostle two different ways. Right. You got to be careful. You always define your terms. In all of apologetics, if you want to know the most powerful thing in all of apologetics, number one, define your terms. Yeah, I think you, you were dealing with that on your radio show, Matt's Like Live, just this week. You had someone and, and yeah. you're just like, it, it was, your terms. you were just like, you have to define the terms first. Define your terms, define your terms, define your terms. All right, and, so you uh, wanted to talk. You can talk about transcendentals, you can talk about everything. You wanted to talk about uh I forget what now you said earlier. Unitarianism? Unitarianism, yeah. All right. Go for it. So, so like I said, reading to this book, and oh, the file, I had to close it. Let me open it. And um, the necessity of God's existence, judgment of mankind, not that one. One and many issue, nope. Uh, hey, what are you doing? I'll pet you. Um, God's defense of God's Unitarian Which nature. Which cat is that? This is Luther. Because <laughs> a- Andrew thought it was Kittler, and it it isn't. No, Kittler is, uh, is... I can go get Kittler and show Kittler to you guys. <laughs> for for folks who aren't like watching, Kittler. you want to explain why you, we call your cat Kittler? He has a little mustache and a, <laughs> a hair part. And when he walks, he goes, meow, meow, meow. So we call him Kittler. Um. All right, Dr. check Matt, this out. Matt, are you reading through the, the Trinity and the Vindication of Christian Paradox? Yes. Okay. And I find his chapter 9 to be extremely confusing, and I'm not convinced uh, on his arguments at all okay. uh, in the Trinitarian sense. Yet, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying it's not making sense. And as Matt yesterday said, he had to go through it like eight times, and then he went through it with somebody else. And I'm going, okay. Uh, which is fine, you know. Uh, we, sometimes some of these concepts are really difficult, so I'm trying to figure things out. But I came up with, in, in this, I'm taking some notes, and it occurred to me about something. So here's this. And, and this is still very rough, all right? So uh, let's assume a Unitarian God, one person. If that's the case, then the one person exists eternally. But if that's the case, there could be no eternal fellowship, because there's no fellowship with anybody or anything else. It's just him. But that would mean that his existence cannot include by nature fellowship. With me so far? Uh, what do you mean? So his existence cannot by... Say that part again? His existence cannot include the issue of relationship. His, you mean like in his essence, within his nature, there is no there is no relationship within his nature. Relationship right. would be contingent upon him creating someone to stand in relation with. Right. Yes. Now, someone might call that an emergent property, but they that's... would say an, an accidental an accidental property. So you have necessary properties and accidentals, right. which are only true in virtue of some other you know something right. contingent. Right. And so we'd have an accidental quality here on the contingent issue of creating something else, by which then we have a relationship between one and two things. Mm-hmm. All right. So that would then mean um, now here's the or here's the question. If he were to create something, we have now an accidental property. 
So if we create something and that accidental property is now a relationship, the question then is, is that a change? Well, I don't know the right way to ask this. Does this then imply that there's an insufficiency in the Unitarian concept of God because there is no quality of fellowship within his nature? That in order to obtain that fellowship or relationship, it has to exist outside of his own nature. Can you, uh, you skipped out a little bit. You're, the sound quality, by the way, is much better. I can hear almost everything, but that, can you just ask the question in a very succinct, very succinct way? Right. This is hard to articulate. It's yeah. hard to get the wording just right, because you, I'll say it, you'll ask me to repeat it, and I'll say it three <laughs> different ways, you know, because, and I'm trying to get this down right, because I think there's something here. Okay. So, the fellowship would then be a new quality within the being. Now, we call it an accidental. Right. All right? Yeah. But it was not an eternal quality or a, a part of God, of, of this Unitarian being's essence. Right. So once we have fellowship, the question then becomes, the Unitarian being creates some, some sentient being and now has fellowship. At that moment... What I'm I'm asking or tr- thinking about is the issue of Unitarian being con- creates some some sentient being. Someone said something. No, that was yeah. you. You kind of had a double voiceover. <laughs> yeah, it didn't sound like me though. I heard myself. It doesn't sound like me at all. It was distorted. It was weird. So then, if it's a new, if we say it's a new quality, then wouldn't that imply that he was incomplete? See what I'm saying? But yeah, I, it, it almost it, it almost and and I'm trying to because this is the first I'm really hearing this. So, but it sounds like it's first time I'm saying it. Yeah, it sounds like you're trying to say that somehow God is gaining an attribute almost of fellowship. Well, I'm not sure because because that I'm I, I, wondering, I, I'm thinking because there's oh I can think of some counters to this, but I'm I'm working with this one thing. Um, if it's a new quality, or is it a new quality? If something that's accidental, which we would call or implies an emergent quality, that's that it only is exists in relationship to something else, then is a Unitarian being incomplete? Uh, I don't think it'd be. I don't think it'd be incomplete uh, yeah. because it's not that he he doesn't need that relation. Correct. It just means that if he purposed to have that relation, he would have to then create another another sentient being in which he could stand in relation. I actually thought you were going to go go the route that if God uh, was Unitarian and that the relationship, the characteristic of relationship is not essential to him, that he is uh, contingent upon something else existing in order to have that relationship. relationship. Once he creates that relationship, is there some sort of intrinsic change within the nature of God? That's where I thought you were going. See, and, well, I was going to hint towards that in, in a little bit in my notes. The, because okay. is there a, 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 an alteration in his essence? Because the essence emanate, or properties emanate out of the essence. So this issue, the properties of fellowship, would, affect the, would be affected by the nature of the essence. If properties exist that no longer exist before in the issue of fellowship, this is where I'm getting into the issue okay. of 
is that related to his essence and his property or an emergent quality. But one this attribute one attribute of God we have to take into play here is that the Trinitarian immu- God, not yeah. the Trinitarian yeah. one. Is immutability. Right? So this if is this being was immutable. Correct. Right. Because if if God's immutable then no, then, then, I mean, that's where I'm, I'm looking and listening and saying this is the problem that's it's rubbing up against his immutability, right? Because he's gaining, it almost sounds like he's gaining an attribute. He's not gaining yeah. an attribute. He is standing in a different relationship to something else. Right. The change is relational. It's not intrinsic. Right. That's what I would say the same thing. Yeah. <clears throat> I would say the same thing, but there's a there's a got to be a reason because in this issue that we're talking about here, the necessity of God being Trinitarian. The necessity of God being Trinitarian is connected to a bunch of things, but if you're getting back to the one and the many, without getting too complicated, the one and the many is how we just express it, but it's actually also related to knowledge and intelligibility, because without the without a metaphysical context that grounds the one and the many, you don't have a metaphysical context that can ground language. Lod and things like that. Uh, you like, right. for example, connecting uh, universal concepts that connect specific particulars. You need to have um, uh, both a one and the many as a metaphysical ultimate. So, so if there's only so if there's only a unitarian God, that actually will itself impinge upon the the idea of knowledge. That a, such a view could actually reduce to skepticism, which is part of the transcendental argument for the triune God that the proof for the truth of the triune God is that if you were not true, you couldn't prove anything. And someone says, well, what about this Unitarian God? The Unitarian God runs into the problem that his, his or its being does not ground both plurality and unity. And so you still have this idea of what, what, what is if, more ultimate. What if the plurality was a transcendental quality of, of the Unitarian mind? It is knowledge-based. What if the plurality was a transcendental quality in the sense that the Unitarian God knows all potentialities and that uh, potentiality of transcendental uh, relationship is a possibility. No, I see. See, when you say it's it's in it's a quality of his mind. Remember, a God is is without a body, and so he is by essence a mind. So he would have to be. If that was the case, it would be grounded in his nature, not just his mind. He doesn't have a body with a mind who has this one in the many grounding. He is a disembodied mind. I've seen some 50s movies, uh, 1950s movies that were like that. Bad joke. We're going to talk about he, this off the air on, on the phone sometime. Yeah. Here's a question. I think he just froze. Um, he, I don't know if Eli's... Yeah. yeah, he's froze. But here's a question. I'm still... I'm, I'm running through all this, thinking about this. I mean, I'm not saying everything I know or suspect or counters and things like that. But... Um, Here's a question. Is relationship, here's a question, is relationship a necessary aspect of personhood? Hmm. Um, Is relationship a necessary aspect of personhood? I I want to jump out (laughs) on a limb, and I want to say, I want to say, Oh, I was going to say something that I don't know if I want to say. <laughs> well, well, wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. As a triune, as a tri, as a, as a trinitarian, I would have to say yes, because because you're almost asking in an indirect way: Is it possible for God to be a person without standing in relation uh, with the with the other the persons within the Trinity? I I would say that in order for there to be an, a necessary precondition for knowledge, 
the ultimate grounding of reality must ground both the one and the many, which are prerequisites to even make sense out of particulars and universals. So in an indirect way, I'd have to be consistent with the Christian worldview. I would have to say yes, because you're dealing with the very nature of God. And in the so Christian I, worldview. Yeah, but, possibility, but why, well, hold on, but why would that be necessary? I don't, I don't, I, I, and not, I'm just playing devil's advocate because I, or, right. because I don't, I don't think it must be necessary. I don't think there's anything to it that is intrinsic to it being necessary. And I think it's a case of causality, right? It just, it, we see this, that doesn't mean that that's the cause. There's no scripture that I'm, I'm trying to think of a scripture I could turn to on it. And I, but. Well, well, Andrew, God is necessarily Trinitarian. Yes, why? Ultimate. That's what I'm trying to discern. That's another well, topic. But why, why is he necessarily Trinitarian? That's, question. That's not a hard question to, to answer because yes, say, is. why is God triune? The answer to that can't go any deeper than, than the brute factuality that God, that's just the way God is. We can say, why is God all-knowing? Well, because it's his nature to be all-knowing. You can't, you can't appeal to some external fundamental that's more primary than the nature of God himself. God right, is but God. I would say... I would say that God, God's revelation of himself and the transcendental nature of the laws of logic and all that and morality reveal the necessity of his essence. See, it's not necessary because of some external thing, but that's the necessity of his essence. And I'm try, that's what I've been thinking about a lot lately. I'm See, saying the metaphysical reality of the triune God must be true in order for even revelation to have um, intelligibility. Since revelation itself presupposes a a grounding for the one and the many, which is connected to knowledge, okay, the, but the, in knowledge itself. But Eli, your argument, your argument you're making is because God is relational. That we by, agree by nature, by necessity. But, yeah, but Trinitarian. But, I'm looking at a Unitarian base to find problems with Unitarianism. I have a reason for going through all problem. this. <laughs> I, I would say that's the problem because. Go ahead, Andrew. I'm he, he's going. going he's, I'm gonna get he's getting Kittler. <laughs> so, yeah. so here, here's the thing, though, because this is going to be the challenge: is what makes it necessary. The fact right. that he is relational doesn't mean that it, it's necessary for to be relational, and that's where I, I'm. I'm, tr- I'm kind of dis- pushing. I would disagree. I would disagree. You, you, you're veering off the transcendental necessity of the triunity of God. If it's not necessary, then you're you're actually placing contingency over the necessity of the triune God, which he is the prerequisite for even the, our conversation, right. because you need the grounding for the one and the many, which which actually accounts for the fact but that I'm not I'm not trying to justify him but through contingency, but through revelation. Necessity by his own essence. I'm trying to find that connection. Here's Hitler. There is a connection, well, though, because ah, the revelation. In order for revelation man. or or anything to make sense, you still need a a, a metaphysical grounding for the one and the many. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Eli's trying to have us <laughs> trying to say like this <laughs> serious thing, and and, and Matt is putting Hitler up. Hitler is his cat that. Has a mustache like Hitler, <laughs> a parted the heart, parted hair, <laughs> and I. For folks who are watching on the or listening on the podcast, you're gonna have to watch the video <laughs> because. Hold on, watch this. Okay, wait, I'll show you something. You gotta see this. Okay, I know this is so off, but look. Oh, I gotta do this. Hold on. There we go. Come on. This is this is great for podcasting. Oh yeah. Now, this is Hitler right here. 
and I do this to him. We don't. We don't. We're not seeing. We're just seeing his tail. He actually starts purring when I hit him hard. Like this. <laughs> Matt's gonna be. Someone's gonna call PETA and <laughs> pet abuse. Yeah, he's the weirdest cat. He, you know, he, you smack him, smack him, smack him, and he goes, he starts playing the piano and everything. He loves it. Anyway, so that that was Hitler. Well, we okay, we so now understand what destroyed, Hitler. He destroyed my entire train of thought. I know, I know, I know. The problem of the one and the many is such an abstract and difficult idea to discuss, and that just threw me off. Oh, that was what great. To do is find out a way to, to get into the one many issue and the refutation of Unitarianism as an intrinsically natural problem. Here because then we can deal with the issues of Islam, which is yes. one of the things I want to be able to do later. And so right. I'm trying to get into the, into showing this this the problem of a Unitarian being, but it has to be logical necessity, and it has to be clear. We can't get into some esoteric thing that's so off where yeah. I have to yeah. teach people 18 concepts before they can understand something. Right. That's what I'm trying but, to but, but when you said something that it was an issue of revelation, you're now dealing with epistemology. What I'm saying is that the metaphysical reality of the triune right. God is a necessary transcendental. I agree for the intelligibility of even revelation. So, so okay. that's connected to the fact that God is by necessity tri-personal. He must be in order for there to be intelligibility. But, but Matt is Matt is stepping because in their you worldview. Need a metaphysical grounding for the one and the many. We'll have to talk about this. Okay. Yeah. See, but I think I think the thing is Matt's Matt's trying to step into their worldview first, and and you keep going back to yours. No, well, then, I, I, then maybe I'm mis, I'm misunderstanding what he's asking. He's asking. I thought he was asking because I do understand the. You have to be careful to, to do an external. You know, but there's a difference between an external and internal critique. So mm-hmm. it may be that I'm misunderstanding what he's asking from okay. within the Christian worldview. Since I ground the necessity of knowledge in the ontological and metaphysical tripersonal mm-hmm. God, then I could never grant that he's not that way, and we can still have a rational conversation. Now, the, Unitarian, the Unitarian does not presuppose um, a triunity, but then that is to his detriment, since with when you deny the triunity, you've actually removed God as an ontological grounding for the one and the many. And so you can ground the one. Right, but you don't know what I'm doing. For example, in Mormonism, you have a God who, who is exalted by a God, exalted by a God, by a God, by a God. You have an infinite regression of, of um, causes. Logically, that's impossible. And it, Why is it impossible? And then we can give the reasons. Okay. Well, there are other problems so, with, the, with that as well. If, yeah. If Mormonism's true, ultimate reality is actually impersonal. Well, hold on, hold on. It, 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 I'm just trying to illustrate, that's all. Okay. Um, not okay. jump into Mormonism, but sure. Mormonism as an illustration of a problem with a regression of gods, you can't have that. And the logic is because you cannot have an infinite a set of causes because there is no initial cause, and if there's no initial cause, you can't have a second or a third or fourth or any others. And it goes back an infinite amount of time, and you can't cross an infinite amount of time to get to now. So it's just impossible. Real simple. Now, Unitarianism can't work because, real simple, that's what I'm trying to get to. You see, because with the, in Mormonism, the argument I'm showing here goes, yeah, well, you know, we, we presuppose a Trinitarian view. But what I'll do is talk to a Mormon and go, this is why your position doesn't work. I got you. I got okay. you. Okay. Unitarian. This is why your position doesn't work. So, so then if I were you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use 
the one and the many to demonstrate that. There are other ways transcendentally to, to demonstrate that in a more easier fashion and by way of internal critique. We, when you use a transcendental <laughs> argument, yes, God is the metaphysical grounding for the one and the many, but you don't always have to apply the transcendental critique by appealing to that because that of is course. abstract. You can use more simpler examples. I know. Why is a Unitarian being self-refuting? <laughs> well, when you're getting down to the essence, I, I, again, you're looking for a quick explanation. I would say in this situation, if you're going to um, uh, discuss the one and the many, there is no simple explanation. You're going to have to sit no, down. No, 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 no. Why is a Unitarian being not possible? Because it does not ground the one and the many, and it actually would reduce to an impossibility of knowledge acquisition. <clears throat> Let's go to the knowledge one. Okay. okay, you can't know anything. Okay, so no ability, knowledge. All right, no ability. Yep. <clears throat> All right. So let's let's do this. It's like like the argument that I say with the materialists. If you're a materialist, your brain it works on chemical reactions. You cannot know if your materialism is true. Therefore, it's self-refuting. Simple. Okay. All right. So let's go with this one then. The knowledge problem. All right. Premise one. The Unitarian God and the issue of knowledge. Now, why is that a problem? Why would you say that's a problem? Now, you said, talk about the one and the many, which means now we've got to introduce the concept of the one and the many and explain it in such a way that it's understandable. Quickly. Right, right. Well, that, that would be the task of the pre-supper who wants to use that. But let's <clears throat> define our terms, as we said in the beginning. When you're saying, what's the problem with the Unitarian God? That's still an ambiguous uh, notion. What, what God are we talking about? Because if we don't define the God, then I can't tell you why it's inadequate. Let's do the, the, the Muslim God, for example. Okay, good. The Muslim yeah. God who is immutable, eternal, and possesses a seity and does not grow in wisdom or knowledge. He's like a Trinitarian God. He's just not Trinity. Okay. And so when we do an internal critique, that is connected to the worldview system of Islam, correct? Right. So there's a logical reason why the why the the Unitarian view, the Islamic Unitarian view, or I would say any Unitarian view, is logically impossible. Say say that part again. That part again. Um, <clears throat> well, you're you're skip your your voice skipped here. It's it's a technology, oh, okay. bro. <laughs> really? No, I, it's okay. It's okay. Don't be so suspicious. I really don't want to. No, hear no, that. no. I was laughing because I go, <laughs> Matt's, see, Matt's again, trying to figure if he can say it exactly the same way again. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the issue, of the grounding of knowledge. It's a grounding of knowledge problem. Okay. Now, why is it a grounding of knowledge problem? Well, the very the very nature of of the Muslim God is unlike the Christian God. He is able to. He is allowed to deceive. And so well, yeah, that's a, yeah, that that I totally agree. Sir four, 157, sir 354. I was just talking about that last night or two nights ago and today. But I want to go a different yeah, way. I know we could we could go a different way, but that would cancel out knowledge on the Muslim conception, which is we just defined this right, you can't case. know anything, right. So and then that's it. So I so if you wanted an easy way, we don't have to jump into the one and the many. The very nature of that unitarian god is already self-refuting. So yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Okay. I, I got that. That's easy. I use that all the time. Okay. Well, you want it easy. You're, you're, you're looking to go to this abstract, very difficult concept and trying to boil it down. And that's yes, really I am. difficult. Well, let's do it. <laughs> all right. Let's try. Let's try. Come on. Okay. So, get it. So, so you have the Unitarian God. Is this Unitarian God the grounding 
of logic. Yeah. Okay. So now, if he's grounded, if he's the grounding of logic, he must be consistent, right? Yes. And his nature must be consistent with with the ability to ground something like logic, correct? Right. And does logic not presuppose the coherency of a universal principle with particulars? Now let's talk about that. Coherence of universal principle with particulars. <clears throat> okay, what do, you, what do you want to talk about? What, is there a direction? Yeah, we just said it. just said okay, the okay, universal principle with particulars, okay? <laughs> okay. Okay. So, have, so, so if, if in order to ground logic, you must also be able to ground universals and particulars, then that needs to be something that's part of the metaphysical essence of that being. Well, let, let's break it down a little bit. Okay, let's say uh, table, all right? A universal you're, you're breaking up table. a little bit. Table. La mesa. Table. 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 Okay. A table. All right. So we have the universal concept of table, and we have particular instances of tables. Okay. All right. So that's the one in the many. This is the very simplistic form of that. Okay. So what we'll have here are the transcendentals that are behind the idea of the particulars that we encounter. Okay. So we encounter particulars, but we recognize those particulars because of the transcendental necessity which resides in God's mind. Right. Okay. Now here's the question. Why can't a Unitarian being be the necessary grounding for that sense which Unitarian being? Listen to the, the Muslim one, but uh, okay. but forget for now, forget the idea that he's a, a deceiver. No, nope, okay? you can't, and that, that's the J-Dub point. God, Jehovah's Witness God. I okay. want you to trust I know what I'm doing. I, don't I know, do. I know. I don't think you do. You're, if yes. you don't define the God, then we're actually taking the You don't understand what I'm doing. Independent of a web, and that's the way you refute it. You need to show there's inconsistencies within the web. If we don't define, you can't just say, a Unitarian God in general, because then now you're talking about a neutral concept of the divine. Okay. I, I, I got you. Okay. I'm working on a certain logical point. Okay. A single logical point. Right. And we got, we're going to logical point. Once you get that down, of course it has to exist in a parameter of other things. Okay. But what I'll do is I always look at one point and we're going to focus on that. Not forgetting, you know, ultimately, there's but a that's certain part context. of the reputation, Matt. It's, it's, it's these other things that's part of why... The God of Islam is self-refuting because it has historical errors in the Quran as well, because it's supposed to be true, and there's satanic verses that were put in and taken out. Plus, in Surah 354, he's a deceiver. And in Surah 4, 157, he and creates someone makes him look like Jesus. Yeah, I got all that. I know, but, but here's what you're doing. You're trying to isolate, and you're okay, saying okay, with your e mouth... E Eli, Eli, let's just say that there's a Unitarian being who's immutable, okay. eternal, and has a seity, all right, and is non-Trinitarian, non-Binarian. That's it, okay? This is an exercise. So how does a being like that ground universals and particulars? If we're going to say that, here's a question I have. But if we're going to say only the Trinitarian God can ground that, okay, then I'm going to say, is the same reason moved over to a Unitarian position valid? Now, hear me out. 
Because if we're to say that the true living God, the reason we know that there's universals and particulars is because of a transcendental necessity that he has in the idea of a table. God knows all tables, all forms of tables, and he's the one who transcendentally has revealed what table is out of his mind. We experience, because we're in in the made image of God, we experience particulars of tables. Now, the, the issue here is that the transcendental is by nature an abstraction. Because a table-ness, the quality of that is something that occurs here, and we recognize particulars. We wouldn't say that an abstraction is embedded into a physical object like a table, because then we would have a conflation of, of essence and we have ontological problems. So what we're saying here is that the tableness resides in the mind of God. So what we're saying is the transcendental is by na- nature an abstraction. Does the abstraction necessitate a Trinitarian? being, or can it be possible in a single mind being, since it's simply an abstraction? No, it would have to be, it would have to be in a triune mind, because you have to have an ontological grounding for the one and the many, which is even, which even different. But that could be in the Unitarian mind, of the transcendental of one, and you no. can imagine See, and know the potentials of all others. Right, now, I, I, again, I know See you the don't question? Think, I know you don't think it's a problem, but I think it's a problem in that you still we're not specific enough in regards to this Unitarian God. You have to be coming from a worldview to posit a specific Unitarian God. Otherwise, you have the Christian worldview bubble here, you have the Muslim bubble here, and then we're floating somewhere in the middle talking about some Unitarian God. There's there's no necessary connection in which we can show uh, a conflict. You see, you couldn't even know that you experience a table if Islam is true. Since for all you know, we could be uh, we could be living. In okay, give me the that. why. I'm sorry. Now, aside from the issue of his deception, okay? you can't say that because that's wrapped up in the. Fact okay, I already that. said. I already said. <laughs> posit a God that is Unitarian, immutable. I don't know. What you're a about. You need to you need to couch that in a worldview because I okay. don't believe there's a neutral concept of Unitarian independent of a worldview system. We're, we're only your question almost implies the assumption that we can talk about this in a neutral fashion. And even though you're acknowledging that there are these outside connectors, we're not allowed to talk about them for the sake of the example, but those are the very elements that refute the fact that God is a deceiver. Everything we can talk about, well, how do we make sense out of a table? How do you know what a table is? For all you know, that can just be part of the deception. And that's always going to be linked to the critique, if that makes sense. I got you. I don't have a problem with that. Okay. <laughs> okay. What I'm trying to do is, oh, let's go to the um, uh, Christadelphian God. All right. I'm not very familiar with Christadelphianism, but I'll ahead. explain. The Christadelphian God is immutable, eternal, has a seity, does not change in his knowledge base, but is completely Unitarian. All right. This is Christadelphianism. Mm-hmm. It's okay. So we have a worldview. There are no false prophecies in the Unitarian position, in, in the Christadelphian position. There are no false prophecies. How do we right, know so, about, how do we know about, look, look the, uh, what is the source of knowledge of the Christadelphian God? How do we know about the, the Christadelphian God? So you're telling me about, I don't know, I don't know this, this position. So if someone were to say, hey, look, I believe in this God, this God, this God. The, the part of the internal critique is for the person to lay out their position. 
how do they know about this God? Well, why is it? Let me ask you, Eli. Why is it that the Mormon God and infinite regression thing that can't work? Say again. Why is it the infinite regression idea of of the Mormon God can't work? What's the logical problem with it? There are logical problems with it. That's what's the logical problem. Give me one. One logical problem with an infinite regression of causes of gods become a god, a god, a god, all go back infinitely. What's the one logical problem? A logical problem. When he gets back after unfreezing. Okay, there you go. Now you're unfrozen. So what's the logical problem? Within it, with an actual infinite, you can't have an actual infinite number of things out there. You have mathematical Good. and logical problems. So what you just did was, you said the logical problem in that is the problem an actual infinite can't exist. Gotcha. Right. The Unitarian God. What's the logical problem why it can't exist? Because it's like saying because an actual infinite can't exist. That's what you're doing in the Mormon one is you're you're actually identifying the logical problem. Right. But when I ask you about the Unitarian one. I'm, I'm saying let's do the same thing. Let's find a logical problem with it. And you say we can't do that, but you just did it with Mormonism. No, 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 no. Here's the thing. When you yes, 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 about, yes. You when you tell me about a position I know nothing about, I can't identify a logical issue if I don't know enough about the position, unless the logical issue is explicit right off the bat. Like say something like an infinite regression of gods. That's an easy one. But if, there you go. But it's a logical issue. The infinite regression is a logical uh, problem. Yes. Now we, you and I would agree that, don't, that we can ultimately ground why it's a logical problem right. only with the revelation of Scripture and the, and the Trinitarian God. We, we agree. But what we can do is say it's a logical problem. Here's why. Now, we're not telling the opponent, so to speak, the ultimate issue, the grounding of the logic that we're using anyway. What we're talking about is, here's a, I want you to understand this. You can't have an infinite regression. They go, oh, I get that. Unitarianism. You can't have a Unitarian God. This is why. Oh, I get that. That's what I'm looking for. Right, but uh, it's not as quick as, as something like what you just said in regards to... I know it's uh, not. That's right, so that's what I'm saying. So, so let's go, let's, now let's continue. We can do this I know, but that, that's from that perspective. The, that's why I'm asking the question that if the, if the contradiction is not as explicit, you ask questions so that you get a fuller understanding and then you engage in internal critique. You can't engage in internal critique if the person hasn't... I understand. I understand. Let's go back to the knowledge thing. Why is it a Unitarian God can't ground knowledge? Well, because knowledge presupposes logic, and logic requires a metaphysical grounding for the one and the many. I know. A Unitarian God can't can't ground. Why can't a Why can't a Unitarian God not ground the one many issue? Because you have uh, within a Unitarian God, you need in order to ground the one and the many issue. Both unity and plurality need to be equally um, fundamental. Within a Unitarian God, you do not have equal ultimacy between the one and the many within his very nature. And equal essence. ultimacy has to do with predestination of the, of no, the damned and the saved. No, that language can be applied to predestination. But when we say God is triune, we would say that plurality and unity are equally ultimate in God. I'm not trying to use it in predestination. Okay, uh, that's fine. Okay. And you need that but uh, you should also still have not... Granted, or not proven, connect the dots. Why you're just saying they can't do it? 
Why can't it? Well, I did explain why. Because you need a one in the many grounding, and a Unitarian God, by definition, by his very essence, can't okay, ground. Why him. can't he? Because if one in many, the concept of one in many, maybe I'm not getting what one in many really is. Sure. But what I've seen it, and I've I've studied it, I've seen what people say. This is why I'm having a problem. When sure. Matt yesterday and I were talking, we're having a problem. I'm going through this book. I don't think the definitions are are nearly sufficient. I don't think sure. is the it's just it's problematic and so when i think of things i think of things very very particularly and so this is what i'm, I'm trying to get at because yeah. i believe that if it could be solved it becomes a very powerful weapon that's well, why i'm spending the time on it yeah so but that but one in a many god is the our, the christian god is the one mind that conceives of all idea ideas of table so because he's the author of table Right, the one mind of God. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, the one mind of the other, the Unitarian God. See, we, we'd have to go into we'd have to go into whether a unit the very concept of Unitarian God is even coherent, because you need that's you what need, I'm trying to do. Well, I'm telling you that it's not because of the necessity why isn't it? Because the God needs to be, in other words, the one and the many needs to be the metaphysical grounding for the coherency of every other one in the many, where you have tables and concepts. You need a metaphysical context in which that can be spoken of intelligently. The metaphysical context would have to be the mind of God. Yes, the ontological trinity. Now, if you don't have the okay. ontological trinity, then you have... Okay, I, I'm, okay. I, I'm, I'm there, but I don't see the logical necessity yet. And that's the thing I'm having a problem in that book. You okay. make statements, I don't see logical necessity. You know, I believe it. Yes, but that's not sufficient. Right. If I'm going to argue this and debate it, I have to be able to connect the dots. And to be honest, I can't connect the dots yet. Because if I'm going to say, in the Trinitarian mind, God is a, a single mind who has the you know perichoresis, he has this issue of the Trinitarian nature. Okay, well, he's still one mind, and that's how it's perceived, how God is in the Trinitarian mind. So we have the Unitarian mind. If we're going to say in the one mind of the triune God, and this gets to be paradoxical, we're talking like this. We're going to say that there is this concept of table. It only exists because God has authored it or has known it. Or we'll just say authored for now. For eternal, 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 for eternity. The triune God has authored it. So it's a product. Absolutely. Right. It's the product of the triune mind. Yes, 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 yes. Which accounts for particular tables and the universal concept of table what's required what's required for a transcendental a mind say that again you're you you skipped out what's required for a transcendental a mind right okay does it require three minds or one mind i would say if you're going to get down to the ultimate reality that that is the originator of of all things i would have to say plurality so the plurality mind is a necessity in order to have a transcendental. That, that's just equivalent of saying that the Trinity is a, is a necessary prerequisite for transcendentals, yes. Okay, why is it a triune mind a, necess, a, a, transcendental, uh, a necessity for transcendentals? Because why not a single need, mind? Because you need a grounding for the one and the many. If you don't what, have a what is it about the Trinitarian mind that grounds the one and the many? And that's different, that's different than a Unitarian mind. Well, that, well that, that's an easy one, because God's metaphysical essence is both one and many, and the Unitarian God isn't. So he can't But ground. if the one and the many is simply a concept, 
in the sense that it, the one is a transcendental. It's not just it's a concept. It, it, it reflects it reflects the triune God who created reality, so that everything. I'm that's talking created, about. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the nature of a transcendental. Okay. The nature of a transcendental is it's a it's abstract. Right. It is universal. Right. And you know it does not depend on space and time. So it, it's an it's it, not authored by God in that it came into existence. So I don't want to say that. But I'm going to use the word author in that it's concomitant with the eternal nature of God's mind. Right. That's how I'm going to use the word author in that sense. So, or I should say revealed. That's a better way. It's revealed in the mind of God. Now, when I say this, I'm saying the mind, not the minds. And so, if we say in the mind of God, we have a transcendental, then what we're saying is we have one mind that authors a transcendental. That reveals a transcendental, which is a product, uh, a necessary aspect of God's existence. The transcendental, because he knows all things. It's an issue of it's an epistemological issue related to its ontological essence. And so the transcendental nature, which is uh, transcendentals are abstractions. Abstractions require a mind. Three minds or one mind? One mind. Because it's an abstraction. One mind but, is sufficient for an abstraction. Therefore, the if we have a transcendental abstraction, all we necessit all we need is a single mind. I don't see why, this is where I'm at, I don't see why there's a logical necessity to say the Trinitarian setup is, is the only precursor for the intelli for the intelligibility. If we're going to be using, hear me out, if we're going to be using this issue of logic in order to determine these things by saying then that a transcendental is an abstraction that requires a mind and a Unitarian is a mind that could offer a transcendental. No. Why we would get back into the same. You you said a lot, so I wanted to stop and then press somewhere, but I kind of forgot where I was going to go with. That. Okay, let me go back and say this. Okay. okay, a transcendental is an abstraction, universal, absolute, immutable abstraction. Okay, it only occurs in the mind. Recur recur okay, okay, stop right there. So you said that it requires a mind, the mind of God, but the mind yeah. of God is God Himself. Okay, there's not God, and then His He's, He is His, but the nature of that God is that he is both equally and in an ultimate sense, both one and many. So the very mind of God is the metaphysical context that grounds um, and unifies particular things and the universal concepts that give coherence to them. We couldn't even have this conversation without the metaphysical context of the ontological trinity because even conversation presupposes a necessity of the grounding of the one and the many. Now you say, well, why doesn't a Unitarian God, why can't a Unitarian God do that? Because one and many is not equally ultimate within him. He is Why just not? one. Because the very definition of a Unitarian God is that he is one in essence. There is no plurality to him. And so but plurality would actually be, would be a contingent property for him. In order for there to be plurality within Unitarianism, he'd have to create it. Okay, we're, we're, we're having, we're, we're getting down, we're getting narrowed down to the problem here. The definition, <laughs> it's, it's okay, it's, it's great. The one and the many versus transcendence. These are the things that are going to be defined now. What, what do you mean by that, Matt? Because I would say that one and many is transcendent since God is transcendent and God is triune by necessity. So I would say the one and the many is transcendent and it gives coherency to the one and the many as weak as creatures experience it in human experience. The one and the many is based on transcendence. It is not transcendent. Because it's based on God. Because it's based on God. Yes, but God's mind is the transcendent necessity for all transcendence. 
All right, say that one more time and try to try to chew on. God's it. mind is an, is the transcendent necessity of all transcendence. The transit. All right. Okay. I would just say he grounds all transcendent. He's a transcendent being. He's the ontological grounding for 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 those things. Well, he's a transcendent necessity for all other transcendence. And when you say he, I would say you're referring to a triune, the one who's metaphysically both equally one and many. So so that. Well, hold on. Well, 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 wait, wait, you're jumping ahead. Okay. 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 This is what uh, Matt Yesser does. I'm like, whoa, but back the truck up. Let's... But, well, you, you talk pretty fast, too. So we, we, we go true. a little quickly here. So. All right. So God is, a, I, I say that God is a transcendent necessity of all transcendentals, I should say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what I mean by that is that I, I had to define a little bit because a, trans, a transcendental, what is a transcendental, first of all? Okay. Because we're thinking past each other. A transcendental, a transcendental is an abstraction that has universal truth, universal immutable truth, okay? Right? Now okay. Let's, we, could, we could work on that. Okay. Uh, such as table, as a transcendent... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a transcendent, uh, I don't know, abstraction, okay? Maybe there's a better word. And so God would know, God would know what a transcendental issue is of, of, a, of a table. And he would also know particulars of table, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, let me write this down. Transcendent nature of table as well as all particulars of table. All right. Now, this right here simply requires a mind, doesn't it? A triune mind. And okay. a creature and a creature okay. who could understand that truth is a creature that's made okay. in the image of the triune God. And so we think in those one in the many categories by necessity. Okay, so why is a triune mind the only explanation since all we need is a mind? Again, that, that's, like, that's like saying, how do I know the triune God exists but by, by a transcendental necessity, by the impossibility of the contrary? In other words, I couldn't, I, I would, to deny it, I would have to already presuppose some other uh, foundation that could account for the one and the many, because then I'd have no justification for everything that I use language. But I don't, I got you. I don't see you connecting the dots, though. I, I, I'm, I affirm all this. You got to remember, I'm, I'm not arguing against it. Okay, I'm, I affirm all this. Know, I've got something going on. You're trying to I'm, connect the dots so you can see, yeah. use it in an argument, and see how it works. I understand. I understand. But not only once the once the tool has been made, I can apply it different ways. Yes, that's what I want to ultimately do. And to be honest, I can't forge the tool yet. Right, and let's see. It's, it's difficult. You know, what I've been working on, thinking about lately, coincidentally, and then Matt <laughs> yesterday and I were talking about it, now we're talking about it, is a few weeks ago I started wondering, why is God necessarily a trinity? See, I don't understand how you could ask that question. That That's equivalent of saying, how, why does God necessarily know everything? You're just asking about why is God, why does God have the nature that he has? When I ask, why is God necessarily a trinity, 
I'm not asking if there's some quality external by which necessitates upon him, but there is an internal. Ah. Okay. Okay. So if you're not asking for that, you're not asking for an external reason why, because then that would be an issue of now what's your ultimate authority. I would say that since unity and plurality are necessary prerequisites for knowledge, the fact that there is knowledge and God is a knower, he must have that nature because it is a necessary prerequisite. He has to be that way in order for knowledge to be had since you need those unity. See, that, I think it's a problem with saying it that way. I hear what you're saying, okay. but I think it begs the question. Let me see if I can turn it. Let me see if I can articulate what I'm trying to say is, okay. is that because we can think logically, and logic is a transcendentalist uh, emanation, uh, mm-hmm. actuality of God's nature. I don't know how to describe it the right way, Not but because emanation, of it, yeah. then then nature and logic and God's nature. Oh, I'm gonna I'm risking some stuff here. The transcendental nature of logic and the transcendental nature of God's essence have a commonality to some degree. One is impersonal, but one is per- the other is personal. Now, God Himself as a being is personal. A transcendental is by nature impersonal, because a transcendental is an abstraction. An abstraction does not have fellowship. An abstraction does not have uh, intimacy. An abstraction doesn't have a conversation. An abstraction is here. So what we have in the mind of God are impersonal abstractions, because they're not little sub-beings or gods or live. Yeah. I, so, yeah. Go ahead. Does, so this is, what I'm, this is what I'm thinking of. Now, sure. that, but what we see in this, we have to, we have the 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 reality of logic, logos, the word. I think there's something going on here. I'm really trying to work through all this. Mm-hmm. And so I've been thinking about it. I don't know who to talk to about it, and I can't even articulate what I'm thinking because it's just – so it is, So the thing is um, I suspect or I believe, I believe that logic itself exists only because God exists. You have no problem with that. I know that. And But I also think that logic is a fingerprint of the nature of God and that we can use it to internally define the necessity of his essence being Trinitarian. Well, because – well, yes. Yeah, so his essence – logic is, is God's thinking. It reflects his yes. – Which is by nature Trinitarian. So We know that by revelation. That's right. So it – if it reflect well, there, there's no such thing as non-revelation. We we find ourselves as human beings. Yeah, absolutely. Right, That's right. why we know it by revelation. <laughs> That's right. So, right. so when we say that logic is reflecting the mind of God, then you are agreeing with me that you needed the Trinity to ground logic, since if logic reflects His mind, it must itself reflect that unity and plurality. That's right. That's necessary to God's being. That's the logical necessity that I would say. But if I'm going to talk to someone who's not a Trinitarian, Mm -hmm. what I'm looking at, and this could be risky. This is why I say it's risky. It's almost like I'm trying to find a logic outside of God to determine God's logical necessity. That's what it sounds like. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so I'm aware of that, but I'm not, I don't want to do that. And I recognize that that's a risk. That's why I say it's risky to say this, but I'm not trying to say that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to say that that um, it's like looking into a room where God is and we see the light coming out. We can use that light that comes out to describe him. And we can say, because light is this way, 
He's that way. And there's a relationship between them because this is necessary because he's necessary. Yeah. The question then is, is there a mutual necessity of his essence with that? If that makes yes. sense, that's what I'm trying to get at. Right. I would say yes, because it is. Uh, and again, you get into the issue uh, the issues between the differences between uh, Gordon Clark and Van Til. Gordon Clark, um, and I tend to agree with him, although I, I go back and forth to some people. Gordon Clark translated John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the logic. So the word logos, the word, uh, in other words, he described logic as God thinking. But if it's God thinking and it's his thoughts, it's his mind, it is in that's, a sense. That's it's impersonal. An, it's an essential feature of God. God's thinking is is not, it can't connect that with God's thinking. Yeah, but then you couldn't have an impersonal thing become personal. That's an ontological problem. I don't think Clark got that right by saying that it's just, it's just lo- the logic, the, the thinking of God. Thinking itself is not personal. If I have a thought, it's an abstraction, but an abstraction by definition is not personal. It's not self-aware. Right. It's not but, alive. But Matt, if logic reflects the triune God, it reflects the triune God. And so logic must have as its necessary grounding the one and the many because God is the one and the many. You, well, when you say that, God is the one and the many, what you're saying is that God is a transcendental being who's aware of all potential aspects of a transcendental concept like table. Uh, but that um, he, he's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything for the actualization of table. He's aware of it, knows all potentials, and knows all you know all particular particular or potential yes. particulars. But for God to know an individual table in His mind, there already needs to have uh, one in the many concepts intrinsic within that. For example, see, that's why I, I don't see the dot connected between that and the one in the many. In that he's, okay. he's a trinitarian. That's I, I believe it's necessary. I don't see the logical necessity <laughs> poor, yet. Poor Andrew. Andrew's no. Oh no. I. I. I'm the. I. The thing I hate is I don't want to stop this before we came up on time. It's like, the, you know, I'm, I'm. I'm enjoying. I've been putting the comments up. I just decided to let you two go, because a lot of folks, it's funny, they're going, are these guys debating? What are they debating? Do they disagree? Do they agree? No one can figure it out. And, and I'm, t- I'm typing to people, this is what it's like when when you have philosophers, theologians that are trying to yeah. work through an issue. And that's what you, right. that's, that's, that's difficult debunk. Yeah. Issue. Matt will get it when he goes and, to sleep. He's going to wake up and be yeah. like, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> about three in the morning, he's going to shoot up out of bed and be like, I understand it. But when you do that, call Eli, not me. Okay. <laughs> well, Eli but, and I have discussions like this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, we've been doing this for and, years. And that's why I think it's good. I, I think it was good. It's good for some folks to see, you know, how people work through the issues because what you're trying to do is give an answer. You're trying to work through an argument. And I like the way you explained it by saying it's a tool. And once you figure out the tool, you can then apply it in different areas. But it's it's That's not – with some of the philosophy, it's not so easy just to walk up and go, okay, here we go, and it, this is the answer. And for people who – you know, I'll, I'll put this on, in, your, in your plate, Matt, in the sense of you've been doing this for like 40 years, right? You're 60 in January, plus years, years old. <laughs> so, so – I'm almost 63. I cannot believe it. <laughs> Man. It was three Gosh, years ago that we were out. It's it's three years ago that yeah, you tried to kill us. Your mental age. It, it's it's three years ago <laughs> since you tried to kill us in in that ice black ice storm. Well, that was fun. <laughs> oh, fun, huh? Oh. The the short of the story is 
we, we hit black ice. Matt managed to strike every car of every person that was staying at his house. And we're sitting there and we're waiting. The police don't want us to leave because they want to do a report. And, and we finally were like, look, can we just go? And he's like, no, I got to fill out a report. And Matt goes, look, all these guys, I hit them. I hit them. They're staying in my house. We can fill, figure out the insurance later. And the, the, the guy goes, wait a minute. You hit all these guys, yes, and they're staying at your house. <laughs> He's just like, go, just get out of here. There were like right. 22 a- cars in an, in, involved in the accident, but Matt only hit everybody staying cars. in his house. <laughs> I slid. Everybody was ahead of me. I slid into Luke's car. I just you know, couldn't help it. Bounced off of him and hit another car. It happened to be Dave's car. <laughs> And, know, it just I had said to my wife, I'm like, you go with Dave, because we, we ended up finding out we had we were short on cars. So we ended up having it where <laughs> I'm like, Dave's going to be safe. Go with Dave. I'll go with Luke. And, and like, as soon as you hit, we Luke and I didn't even realize it was you until we saw Yim and Dave standing on the side of the road when you hit them. <laughs> and then we were like, oh. And then Luke goes, I think that was Matt that hit me. <laughs> sure enough, actually, it was. <laughs> Luke was sliding into my lane too yep. a little bit. He he was sliding. One of those things he was sliding in, starts. and he we thought we were just going to miss it, and nope, yeah. boom. But uh, yeah, so yeah. so but for folks who are watching this time, because I wanted to let this go, and I I you know I took I backed out of it because I think it's good for folks to see how we go about having to wrestle with these things. Not all this stuff is is just easy concepts but then when you're trying to formulate not only the the right way of saying it you're trying to formulate okay here's here's what's going on and here's how to apply it and what for folks that were can you know watching or hearing what you're seeing is you're seeing two guys trying to make sure they're on the same page with their terminology and concepts and then the applications of them and it's not always easy uh, so I know some someone early on was going, my brain hurts. Sometimes these things do, but what ends up happening, and this is the reason we, we do this sort of stuff, is because after this gets worked out, then we find, as Matt said earlier, a simple way of explaining this. So you don't have to explain 18 topics to be able to, to d- refute an argument. And well, that's Andrew, what he's Andrew, trying to do. The, look at the idea of, is Jesus God? Yes. Does Jesus get, uh, does God get hungry? No. Did Jesus get hungry? Yes. People debated how to make sense out of that, but also well, that Matt could write a small little article and then we could use it in, yeah. in evangelism. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I do. See, I try and do I try and do the heavy lifting of thinking through all these things, but this is so esoteric and so difficult that I'm not able to solve it on my own. And that's why I'm going to you and Matt Yester. And because you guys both well, have where good where is Matt Yester? Why is he not? He, we got to get Matt Yester back in here. We haven't seen him in these hangouts. Well, all. Matt Yester has a yes. Matt Yester a question. <laughs> he only has uh, he has a four speed transmission, and only two <laughs> of the gears are operating. Third and fourth. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think you got that. No, I think you got that wrong. I think he's he's got he's got five gears, and it's only four and five that are working. <laughs> yeah. but, but um, he's really great. But maybe the three of us could sit here and work through this because yeah. my job as an apologist is to break it down and connect those dots to make it understandable to people. So if I don't see – I mean, of course the Trinitarian God is a necessary precondition for intelligibility. Of course. It's a revelatory necessity, and we can't abandon the Christian worldview and argue rationally. Of course. 
No problem. I could sit there and argue that all day. Not a problem because I'm not going to abandon the Christian worldview. What I'm trying to do is develop a tool. The same way I could say in Mormonism, the infinite regression God problem is faulty because, now in this issue, it's a simple one, because of an, of an actual infinite doesn't work. And we can expand on that, but that's easy to but understand. The, what that's doing, of course, is just simply giving them a rational reason. They're not aware that they're inside the Trinitarian world, and they don't understand that. But I can use that and say, this is why you can't work. Ultimately, that's because of the Trinitarian worldview. I'm trying to do the same thing with Unitarianism. You know, so without them explaining the Trinitarian necessity, I'm trying to show them something that doesn't work. From their inside the perspective, but it's all ultimately for the Trinitarian perspective. And th- this is because the I'm thing, argue, for example, with a Muslim. And yes, I can do the sorry, <laughs> he's sorry, it on purpose. Four one fifty seven. I can do the self deception thing, and I was doing that today. You know, I'm trying to find an additional tool that I can use and have in the quiver. And this one, I think the potential here is is far greater than just simply, hey, Allah lied. It's far greater and has a far more applicable thing. And that's why I'm, I'm really trying to work on this. Can I, can I say something real quick? And Andrew, I no. know you try to finish up too. Just real quick. And this is, sure. this is helpful. See, I let I these two go for a while. What happens? They just, they just don't want to stop. <laughs> go ahead. All right. Let, well, you can wrap up. I'll, 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 no, I'll go ahead. Finish up. Finish up. Well, I just want to let you know that uh, where myself and Matt Yester learns all this stuff, is uh, listening to Greg Bonson's lectures. He does talk about these kinds of things and, and about universals in particular and how that all works together. And, and obviously, I would never compare myself to Bonson. He explains it so clearly. So you might want to look into, maybe when you talk to Matt yesterday, he can direct you to the specific lecture and you could download it and give it a listen. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. And, absolutely. and for folks who are watching, listening, here's the thing. This is what we've seen throughout church history. You know, we we you're hearing a lot of discussion on the Trinity, but you know, there was a time where they wrestled, the early church fathers wrestled with the idea of the Trinity. Trinity was a solution to a problem, right? How could Jesus, he had to be God to pay an eternal fine. We just lost Matt. I don't know if he did. He might have accidentally booted himself. We, we, yeah. We, we look at the early church and what do you see? You, you end up seeing that they realized that Jesus Christ had to be God. Here he is. He's coming back in. Jesus, button, obviously. yeah, obviously. So Jesus Christ, they realized, had to be God to be a punishment of sin to pay an eternal fine. But they also realized he had to be a man. And so they're struggling with this. And this is where you start to see some of these things form, where they first are dealing with, you know, the whole hypostatic union, the fact, how could he be, he's fully God and fully man? And then once you say he's fully God, well, then what do you do with God the Father, and then there, the Holy Spirit. And so there was, this wasn't some, you know, like we take for granted the Trinity and the definitions that we have there and the hypostatic union and the definitions we have there. But the men who wrestled with this did what you saw for the last hour for months and in some cases years of wrestling through the scriptures, wrestling through the philosophy until we got the, as Matt was saying earlier, the tool or the solution that we use. And so I know for some people it hurt their brain, <laughs> but learn, I mean, I know if people enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I was putting up those comments where people were saying they, they really enjoyed it. They enjoyed the, you know, because theology and philosophy, one person said that the, they go together and you can't separate these. And I think that it was helpful for people. Otherwise, you know, I mean, that's why I wanted it. That's why I just backed out and took 
Andrew and I out and let you two go back and forth so people can can watch that because it's helpful for folks. So, um, so uh, next next week, I don't know what we're doing next week. I got to look because I'm not sure. I, I don't know that I will be able to host because I will be actually I know I won't be because uh, I will be in uh, Raleigh I think I'm wrong well I'm in North Carolina with uh, with Dr. Anthony Silvestro and he will be speaking next Thursday night so I will not be able to host Apologex Live but I'll see if I can get someone else to to fill in and uh, folks there were some people were asking late at the end of the show how your wife was doing Matt go back and watch the beginning we we covered that, but continue praying for Matt's wife. They're going to try to tough out another winter in, in Idaho, which is not the best for his wife, but they're going to do that so that uh, they can try to get the house back on sale for the spring. So be praying for that. Uh, anyone wants to move to Boise, there's a house for sale. Just contact you know, Matt, go to you know, Carm, contact him, say, I'll buy your house, you know, <laughs> and then he can move sooner. Just say it. Anyone that, that's looking to move out, you know, the, the only advantage to you know moving out there is uh, you can carry a gun. That's that's, that's a big advantage. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. So with that, uh, so Matt, good gl- good to have you back, huh? Yeah, we're still free here in Idaho. Not for long. You got the Californians moving in. They're going to change that laws. Yeah. Um, oh, and and here, here, real quick. Uh, this aired last night, but gospel, the gospel truth says Matt Slick did great in the debate last oh, night. Yeah. Um, it That's aired right. last night. A few weeks ago, it went well. It's just been a while. We, we did it. We pre-recorded it a long time, and then it was released last night. So yeah, you like that. Good. yeah. <laughs> and here you go. This one's from Matt. Jason Manning is saying Boise is California two <laughs> No, it is not. Oh. Man. <laughs> All right. So with that, folks, oh, glad glad you guys watched. Um, j- check out karm.org. Check out strivingfraternity.org. Eli, do you have a website yet? Um, almost. But almost. I have a podcast and um, and a YouTube channel, which I just have a, just have a little bit of content there. But I'm going to start moving that along. So yeah, you you, you do it backwards. Website first, website first, and then you. So you direct hey, everything. I'm, I'm, work, I'm working on, on fumes, man. I, it's so hard for me to get anything done. I'm just trying to do the best I can. Yeah. Well, we we appreciate it. Thanks for coming in. I think it was a good discussion. Yeah, I think it was it, it was ed- educational, helpful for many. So until next week, if if there is no show, I'll put something up on apologeticslive.com. So just always go there. And uh, Eli, I should say publicly, thanks for letting me know. Like just minutes before that I had old links. <laughs> so I corrected that. So until, until next week, remember to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. See you then.